Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Cape Sports Now, the Cape Cod Times' only all-local sports podcast. He's Matt Goisman. I'm Steve Dadarian. We got a really great show for you today. Mm-hmm. The brackets came out for tennis and lacrosse on Friday. Baseball and softball is coming out Tuesday. Yep. We had a lot to go over. Playoffs and are here. Absolutely, but um, certainly... We have a special guest on the phone today that we want to get to first. Absolutely. Uh, from Martha's Vineyard, senior Mackenzie Condon, fresh off winning the All-State Pentathlon in track and field and a couple other pretty cool things that happened to her last weekend that we'll discuss. Mackenzie, welcome to uh, Cape Sports Now. Hi, thanks for having me. So between winning the pentathlon on Thursday, signing uh, with Harvard for their track team on Friday, and then making New England's in the 400 hurdles on Saturday – that 72-hour stretch, is that one of the best uh, 72 hours kind of in, of your life? I got to figure that'd be hard to top. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely an exciting 72 hours, um, but kind of a culmination of a lot of hours of hard work. So, yeah. Now, I know you've had a fair amount of success in the last couple of years with the uh, MSTCA pentathlons, but not, not quite as much with the MIAA one. So what, what made you decide to really kind of train for that uh, this year, th- especially this spring? Yeah, so I've never done the state pen- state pentathlon before. I've always done the MSCCA ones. But at states, I've done hurdles and long jumps. Um, and last year, I really focused on the 400 hurdles. And we kind of made the decision this year that for the postseason, I'd try to focus on the multis for nationals. So as a practice for that, we kind of wanted to get the type of competitive environment that the state pent would offer so mm-hmm. uh, we kind of went through with that um, and it definitely served the purpose because that's what I'll be doing in two weeks in North Carolina so Mackenzie I'm curious what kind of got you interested in becoming a multi-athlete in the first place were you always someone just willing to try new sports and events and, and things like that as you were coming up as an athlete yeah definitely I was a gymnast growing up I didn't start track until my sophomore year of high school mm-hmm. but I was kind of used to the flow of doing four events every day as a gymnast so um, the pentathlon, I think, was kind of natural. Um, and it's definitely more exciting for me, I think, than just focusing on one event. I never feel bored. Um, there's more room, I feel like, to, to constantly be, be working rather than if I was doing one event, I'd have to take a day off the next day. Um, but if my legs are tired from a track workout, I can throw the next day. I kind of like um, being able to constantly be working. Sure. For people who don't know, what's the order of events in the pentathlon? Like, what do you do first, second, third, you know, and then obviously fourth and fifth? Yeah, so it starts off with the 100 hurdles, mm-hmm. then the high jump, mm-hmm. um, the shot put, the long jump, and then the 800. Okay. So I know that you – I think you, you won the 100 hurdles to open the competition – Right. Were you confident you could win that first event? And then winning it, how much of an advantage do you think that, that gave you, especially considering that, you know, you didn't win another one until, I think, the 800 to, you know, finish it all off? Yeah, um, I don't think you can ever be confident you're going to win the event. I knew my time was going to be among the leaders for the 100 hurdles, but there were definitely people who had run similar times to what I had. Uh, but they run the race for a reason, and I knew if I showed up, um, I could open on a good note. So I, I think going in, I just wanted to open um, close to the leader leading, but I wasn't positive that would be the case, but definitely happy that it was. Right, and then you get all the way to the 800. You know, we were reading from your coach, Joe Schroeder, that you specifically trained all season for that 800 meters event, which, as you said, is the final event in the pentathlon. Right. Was that an event in which you felt like you were vulnerable at the start of the season and then you got better at it, you know, as it went along in the season? Um, I've always, I mean, I don't, I haven't always trained for the 800, but specifically, but I've always had somewhat of a strong eight. Um, even my sophomore year, the eight, I would score more points than, than events that now I score um, a good amount of points in. 
But I think what he meant by training a lot forward is I still have been doing the 400 hurdles this season, um, and many 400 hurdlers run a good eight. So I think the training for the 400 hurdles, um, and then definitely we have done some stuff for the eight. Sure. Um, made me a better 800 runner. But I, I nev I've never felt that vulnerable. I kind of knew going into the meet that if I could be in the lead or close to the lead at the eight, I could have a good chance of fighting for the win in the eight, I guess. Sure. And I think – I think I read you went into the 800 with about knowing you had about a five-second gap that as long as nobody beat you by five seconds or more, you were fine. I know you were battling a cold, uh, you know, or you had just recovered from one. Were you feeling pretty strong physically heading into that, you know, last event? Yeah, I definitely was feeling strong. Um, I've been fighting illness for the indoor and outdoor season. Oh, wow. I've been struggling with Lyme disease. Ooh. So the kind of – feeling healthy that day I competed so many times feeling not healthy mm -hmm. um that I was definitely very confident because I've competed well feeling pretty um poorly so I definitely felt confident knowing that my health was there to back up my work ethic as well yeah I mean so much of the pentathlons obviously you know conserving energy and, and making sure that you're good through all, all five events so what are you able to do in between events to kind of get yourself ready for the next one? And especially since, as you said, you're fighting things with Lyme disease, I can imagine there's a whole other process that goes along with that. So you're just ready for meets in general. Oh, definitely. Um, I think sometimes at the beginning of training for the Penter, when I was first doing multis, I thought that it was just all five events, like kind of separately. And I didn't realize how much, um, how different it was when you're really competing them all on the same day. Um, so I think in between what I do now is stuff I've really had to learn over time. Like now I always leg drain. I know when I do my leg drain normally before long jump, which I like put my legs up against the wall. Mm -hmm. um, kind of try to stretch them out um, and rest them for like five minutes. Definitely eating is crucial because you can't just eat before the hundred hurdles and be good for another four events. Um, so I've been able to figure out the eating before shot, but works well because then I have a little bit of time to digest before I run the eight. Um, but yeah, definitely some things I've learned to do better in the multi. Gotcha. So then, all right, so you, you do that on Thursday, and then Friday you sign with uh, Harvard. When did Harvard start, uh, like, recu recruiting you? How that uh, whole process work? Um, well, I had reached out to Harvard in the summer, mm -hmm. um, and I ended up going on an official visit to a different Ivy League school, and recruiting was, for me was hard because I'd never envisioned myself as being recruited as a D1 athlete just because um, I started my sophomore year and I'd always really focused on school. Mm -hmm. So um, the way it works is normally you have to commit um, to a restrictive application process. And that was really hard for me because I thought I worked really hard in school um, to really know where I want to go and have time to make the decision and feel like I was picking where I wanted to go. And um, I ended up applying to Harvard early decision mm -hmm. um because they're not restrictive with that so it's mm -hmm. early it's single choice restrictive early action right um which is still in november like the other ed schools mm -hmm. but if i were to apply to um, some other schools i wouldn't be able to choose to go anywhere else um but i wasn't sure i was going to go there until the end of april when i went on um my last visit there and i really was won over by the fact that it was first um so many amazing opportunities there but still such a high quality track team um so it's definitely a later decision than most it's got that beautiful indoor track facility there whenever i'm there for like harvard hockey games or something i'm always glancing in and, and amazed by how good that facility looks yeah it's amazing so yeah i mean what are you just most looking forward to this fall as you, as you transition into a uh, college student um i'm definitely really excited for the school piece of it. Um, I'm excited to really get to pick my classes and take classes I like. Um, and then athletically, I think I'm really excited to have a lot of people that are a lot better than me. Um, and I like people that have the same work ethic. I feel like I have a lot of people in high school who work really hard and I'm excited to continue kind of having that community. That's what I was looking for. Um, I guess on a larger scale with so many people, they're so interested um, and passionate about what they're doing athletically and academically. Um, so I'm definitely excited for both next year. Great. That's most of the questions. I think maybe just my last one is, you know, you're the first uh, woman, person from Martha's Vineyard, I believe, to win an all-state track event of any sort. Have you thought about that at all about what that means to you or, or kind of 
what that uh, says about your time uh, with the vineyarders? Yeah, definitely. I think the second part of that is just it. It's definitely the time I've um, been able to spend with my team and my coaches. I think I've said this before, but I think when you are successful as a multi, it's, it's so obvious that it has to do with the coaching just because if you have someone run a really fast hundred, it could have something to do with the coaching. I'm, I'm sure it does, but you could also have someone who's very fast. I feel like when you have a successful multi-athlete, um, they can't naturally be good at everything. So clearly there's something with the coaching there. Um, and I just feel like I've had amazing coaching um, skill-wise, but also just like coaches who are constantly there for me. Like I'm the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm there all Monday afternoon into the late evening. So I can't practice that day. Um, and my coach is always coming on Sunday so I can make up for that um, because I really need oh, as much time as I can get as a multi. Um, so I feel like it's definitely the culmination of really good coaching um, and coaches who leave it just for me to put in the work um, and not really have to worry about anything else. So, yeah. Um, cool. I think that I do it. It sounds good. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Mackenzie, and uh, best of luck. You're going to be up in New England in, I believe, Saco, Maine, right, this, this weekend? If I go, we haven't decided yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, good luck at, at Nationals in two weeks if you don't thank go you. to New England, and good luck you know, in the next season at, at Harvard. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Cool. That was Mackenzie Condon uh, from Martha's Vineyard. Very, very good athlete. Probably, if we're being honest, going to be one of our top 10 at the end of this year like we did last year. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you look at track and field specifically, and we'll get to later in the show, there were some really outstanding – standouts from the girls' side. I mean, there's good performances individually by the boys too, which you usually see in terms of where the athletes stack up mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the state. There's a lot of girls in this region who, who, who stand out, certainly. And Absolutely. That's not easy given the size of schools that we usually have here, you know, with Barnesville being the biggest of the bunch. Yeah, I mean, and to win it at Allstate, you're beating teams from literally the entire state, every division. So if you're, you know, Mackenzie Condon, Martha's Vineyard is a D4 school. She was beating kids from D1 schools, much larger schools, giant enrollments, bigger facilities in a lot of cases or or sometimes even just more money into their athletic program because they're bigger school districts. So to win or even place just high at an all-state meet is really, really hard. And for Condon just to be a sophomore when she started up track and field, yeah. too, I think that's the most incredible part. I mean, being a gymnast, clearly she had to be in good shape. I'm mm-hmm. sure she's very flexible, which helped with hurdles and whatnot. Absolutely. And, you know, the speed out of the blocks. But, um, yeah, just a really outstanding athlete and clearly has a bright future at Harvard. Wicked smart, as they would say. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I, we'll go over uh, the All-State track meet a little bit more at the end of the show, but we have a lot to get to today, so we're going to get right into it. With uh, the, We're going to start with lacrosse and then get to tennis after. we got a lot of good playoff games coming up starting this afternoon. Yeah, hopping from one island to the other. So Nantucket girls lacrosse team is actually going to kick it off. It's the only lacrosse game happening today. That's mm-hmm. 3 p.m. against number 18, Middleborough. Nantucket's the number 15. So this is the preliminary round of the yep. Division Two tournament. Girls lacrosse is only Division One and Division Two for South. So this is two the smaller schools. But I have a lot of confidence Nantucket's going to take bit care of business in this one. The Whalers scored 10 or more goals in 14 of 18 game. They've Played solid Cape and Island teams pretty closely, um, like FA or Falmouth Academy, mm-hmm. even beat Monomoy 18 to 17. Middleborough is a team that split with DY, it's a three win team. I mean, yes, it's a bit of a bigger school, but you know, the fact that Middleborough is coming to the island makes it feel like this is going to be a win for the Whalers for sure. Turning over to Tuesday in D2, you mentioned Falmouth Academy, the number nine team. They're at number eight, Archbishop Williams. It's a 3 p.m. game at Memorial Field uh, in Braintree. You know, I a lot of teams, I think. How you end the season, I, I think, can carry over into the playoffs. FA was really strong to start, but then I, I think they struggled a little bit towards the end, right? Yeah, I went two and four over the last six games. Uh, granted, two of those losses were to Pembroke and Falmouth. To their credit, yeah. they've played higher division schools this year, teams mm-hmm. like Situate, Pembroke, as I just mentioned. But the other losses were to St. John Paul and Marcus Vineyard. Now, Marcus Vineyard, we'll get to in a second, it's the number one seed. That can kind of be forgiven. St. John Paul, it's a very solid team mm-hmm. but they hadn't lost to that team in a while and they lost 13 i believe it's 13 to 10 so um definitely a bit of a turndown as we've seen from years past i mean ainsley ramsey emma keeler maria medeiros clearly carry this team but their defense by their own admission is, is very young and it's kind of been their weak point at, at times this year and i think you're starting to see that be exposed later in the year 
Um, in terms of the team they're playing, Archbishop Williams, mm-hmm. they split with St. John Paul this year. So I, I definitely think Falmouth Academy, I'm not counting them out in this game. They have a very good chance of winning this game, in fact. But this is a highly motivated squad led by uh, Haley Mullen. Um, Archbishop Williams got upset by Ursuline in the first round last year, and then Falmouth Academy just edged Ursuline in the next round. So I think this should be a really good matchup. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect 8-9 matchup pretty much to the seeding committee said these teams are pretty even. Let's see how it plays out. And then the winner's going <laughs> to end up most likely playing Martha's Vineyard. So This could be a very good spring for Martha's Vineyard, especially on the girls' side between lacrosse, Condon, who we just talked to, and then girls' tennis, which we'll talk to. We've talked about at length, and we will talk about uh, in a few minutes. But this could be a good spring for the Vineyard. No, absolutely. And we'll get to their game, which is Wednesday. Just one more game on Tuesday we yep, should get to absolutely. real quickly. Um so in the Division One side of the tournament, uh, Nosset came comes in as a 15 seed. They're going to be matched up with Notre Dame Hingham. That game's at 3 p.m. Simply put, Nosset's kind of a victim of being in Division One here. I mean, mm-hmm. the Warriors are seeded 15th out of 16 teams, despite finishing 12 and six, winning six of their last seven. But the fact is, Notre Dame Academy—they were the number one, or excuse me, the Division One South runner-up last year. And um, they're regular in the sectional semifinals. They're, they're always a team that seems to make it pretty far. Um, they have Madison Ahern, who, according to the Patriot Ledger, is the number three national prospect for the class of 2019 Oof. by Inside Lacrosse. And that's the highest ever ranking player for somebody from out of Massachusetts. So um, that's a very talented squad. They had some great battles with Westwood this year, which is right up there with one of the best teams in the state. So it is a tough draw for Nosset. I mean, they do have leading ACL leading scorer Maddie Daly, 76 goals, 17 assists. Goalie Isabel Travers has been really solid at times this year, but basically for Nasa to win this game, it's going to take their best 15 minutes of the year, and even that mm-hmm. is it, going to be a tough, uh, tough ask for them. Yeah, that's the number two, <laughs> two seed. It's going to definitely be a challenge. Wednesday, uh, we don't know who Martha's Vineyard is going to play quite yet. We've got number 16, Fompon, and number 17, South Shore, Voke are going to face off in a preliminary round, and then the Vineyard gets the winner Wednesday at 4 p.m., right? Yeah, and, and i got to tell you, with Marcus Vineyard, and I, and I talked to their coach, Bob Heyman, the other day, mm-hmm. he was like over the moon when he saw the bracket actually come out. Um, basically, the best part was that Powers uh, Norwell, which is the defending state champion, and Cohasset, a team that eliminated... Martha's Vineyard last mm-hmm. year. Those are the two powers in the state. They're on opposite sides of the bracket, meaning only one's going to be able to get to the final if yep. one of them gets there, meaning that they wouldn't see the Vineyard unless both of those teams made it to the sectional final. And I think for Martha's Vineyard, that's that's huge. That's as good as you can hope for. Right. For and they've, sure and you know what? They deserved at least to have a chance to play for the final. I mean, the number one seed in Division Two South, uh, the Cape and Islands League champs in their first year, their only losses to a Division One East team, Lexington. Mm-hmm. Um, Addie Heyman has been unbelievable this year. She just uh, amassed 300 varsity goals. Uh, Alexis Condon, Luis McDonald's, and Sosie Combra are all among the contributing scorers. So it's not just Heyman. Mm-hmm. These other players have stepped up and, and also score goals at key times. So um, if they win this game, their first round game, um, they would play either Fallon Academy or Archbishop Williams, as I just said. And I really do think they could make it to the final. What, what I'm really hoping for is to see them play Sandwich, which I think would be a really good showdown um, between arguably the two best mm-hmm. Cape and Islands teams in the region in, as it comes to girls lacrosse. I think so, too. And speaking of Sandwich, they're the number five seed this year. They're going to play number 12, Ursuline, who we just talked about uh, on Wednesday. That's a 4 p.m. game. Now, you kind of think Sandwich is a little underrated at that seed. Yeah, I mean, part of it is... Obviously, you're going by win percentage and stuff like that. But the fact that Sandwich plays in the Atlantic Coast League and that they swept it this year, and that includes two wins over Marshfield, I think that speaks very promising. And you could almost argue that they are the favorite on that side of the bracket. But the only problem is is that so is uh, Hanover's on that <laughs> side of the bracket too. And that's the team that eliminated Sandwich last year. But um, Sandwich, you know, their resume, 228 goals scored, 127 allowed. Um, the latter is a big credit to senior defender Lear Mahoney and uh, senior goalie Morgan House. Both have played particularly well toward the end of the season. Uh, Sam Garassi, who has 61 goals, is expected to lead this team as always, even on draw controls. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they've played some stiff non-league competition all year long, including two tough, close battles against Division One power Old Rochester. So this is a team that's pretty battle-tested. And uh, Macy White was a leading scorer in the season finale. She's starting to, I think, play her best. Uh, lacrosse as it comes down to the end of the season 
Turning over uh, to St. John Paul, uh, another D2 matchup on Wednesday. That is number 10, Sacred Heart. They're going to play SJP, the seventh seed. That's at the Sandwich Youth Football Field. That's a 5 p.m. game. You know, they're playing really well. Uh, they finished their season really well other than losing to Martha's Vineyard. Basically, everybody lost to Martha's Vineyard. You kind of have to throw that loss away a little bit. Um, you know, you really like how kind of Emily Buck and um, Melissa Vancott have been playing, right? Yeah, they were really good against Falmouth Academy. Um, and I think that kind of proved that the Lions are a real playoff threat, you know, taking out a, a team like that. Now, technically, they earned a higher seed, but at the same time, when mm-hmm. you look at the relative competition and where they finished in the league, yeah, it's pretty much a toss-up. But um, I, I like this team kind of from most of the month of May. I mean, they rallied. They lost to Archbishop Williams, I think, 16-7 to back on March 30th, which mm-hmm. now feels like it was last year. <laughs> now that the sun's shining. But yeah, they right, also they came back in the rematch, and they beat that team 9-8. to And to, to, that clearly, to me, shows that this is a totally different team from the beginning of the year to the end of the team, mm-hmm. to, to the end of the season for the better. And you can't forget about Haley Tierney, Victoria Butler, or goalie Maggie Buckley either. All of them have been really strong this year. Um, but they're, the team they're playing, Sacred Hearts, um, that's a pretty good team they got coming in. 13-3. and three. The Saints won the Mayflower Championship with two tight wins over um, number 14, Old Colony. The number 14 team, Old Colony. Yep. Old Colony was pretty much the power in that league for a lot of years. Um, Maddie Molina, Larson, and Kylie Slavic are two key scorers. So this could be a very tight game, and I'd be very interested to see who moves on. Unfortunately for the winner, they're going to end up with defending state champion Norwell, and is who Norwell is. They're nationally each ranked, year. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So it's a tough draw, but look, you want to you want to win the postseason. You yeah. want to have that chance to you know take on the best. And if that's where your season ends, so be it. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to win a state championship playing bad teams. You're going to mm-hmm. have to beat somebody good. You're probably going to have to beat a lot of good teams. That's that's the whole point of the playoffs. Is right. The best teams Absolutely. face each other. So. Uh, you know, a team that I think maybe is going to have a much tougher road to to getting anywhere in this postseason. Number thirteen, Monomoy. They're at number four, Hanover on Wednesday at a four p.m. game. I, I mean, Hanover made the semis last year. It's going to be challenging for them. I th- for Matt, the Sharks, I think. Yeah, Hanover again is a team that eliminated Sandwich last year. Um, you know, I, I it, it's hard to. When you look at Monomoy's schedule, when you look at the Cape and Islands League, yeah, they were a good team, but compared to what the teams at Hanover played, it's just not even close to the matchups, just like Sandwich playing in a yeah. much, uh, more competitive league, and that kind of goes for the same on the boys' side. But, um, you know, Monomoy's gotten good leadership from his captains, Kelsey Baker, Jesse Curry, Abby Wallace in particular. They're going to have to get this team to really dig deep. Um, and Hanover's won. This is the point I was about to make. They won 13 straight games, so this is a team that comes in on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, you know, if it does end up being Hanover Sandwich, that's going to be a really tough matchup, you know, for the Blue Knights. Um, the one interesting note I found on Monomo, though, according to their student newspaper, Sark's been working on a bit of a trick play, and I can imagine they might need a few tricks up their sleeve if they have a shot of winning this game. Um, so, again, the winners of this one will take on either Sandwich or Earthline in the quarterfinals. Gotcha. Uh, and then you want to wrap up girls lacrosse with uh, Falmouth, with the Clippers? Yep, so the only other Division One team to get in, uh, ironically, the one lower seed than Nasa was found with coming in at number 16. They're taking on number one Westwood at 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Yeah. It's been tough sledding for Falmouth all year long, and this is a team that was expected to make a run last year but was bumped off earlier in the first round by, by Marshfield, which stung. Right. Um, the Clippers did pull together enough wins to their credit for a playoff spot, but just barely. I mean, edging Mashpee, uh, you know, really young and mm-hmm. kind of up-and-coming team in the season finale. They just edged out Falmouth Academy. Um, they've been out, actually outscored 148 to 162 this year. Um, and Quinn O'Rourke, their leading scorer, 59 goals, 19 assists, could really only do so much you know, mm-hmm. on her own. And Hannah Toby was almost the goalie by committee this year after the Clippers lost longtime goalie Taylor to Hedeville. So Fowles is going to have to do a lot of regrouping after this season when O'Rourke is gone and uh, Toby's gone. They're mm-hmm. going to be needing some new players to come up in there. So. Um, I wouldn't count out their youth program, but certainly it's going to take some time to build Falmouth into the power that it was last year. Definitely. So they draw number one Westwood, led by Fiona McGowan, which is a UMass signing. So again, this is going to be a real tough, tough road for Falmouth, but they're in, and that's better than sitting at home this week. For sure. You know, I'm sure the seniors this year did not want their season to end without at least a playoff berth. But yeah, I mean, we were worried they were going to lose a lot after last year, and I think they did a little bit. 
Um, you know, but that's how graduation works. And the thing with the Falmouth too, just one more point here, is that they, they did win a lot of the games they were expecting to, but they didn't kind of reach and, sure. and get those kind of extra games that give you a little bit of a better seed. And again, kind of a victim of playing in Division One, where you have some really good South Shore teams mm-hmm. um, that, you know, just year in and year out are solid. The Notre Dames, the Westwoods of the world, and so on. Gotcha. On the boys lacrosse side, Sandwich, they're the number two seed in Division Two. They're going to play number 15 Norwood uh, in the first round. That's Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. in East Sandwich. Number two seed for Sandwich, that's got to be, I mean, that's the highest seed for a boys lacrosse team on the Cape and well worth it, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Hanover's the number one. It was fair enough. They beat Sandwich head-to-head uh, during the regular season. So I-, I think Sandwich will take this, and there's a good chance I think these teams could meet in the finals, though. Mm-hmm. D2 South notorious will be hard to predict. Although I'm pretty it's sure last a pretty year... small bracket, right? Right. I mean, although I'm pretty sure last year, Fouth and Situate, I believe, were the top two seeds. I think they were one and two. I, I believe Fouth was number one last year. I think year, that's yeah. right, but it didn't really help Falmouth all that But much. in years... I mean, it, it, this is full of talent. Mm-hmm. Arguably, the closest teams to one another are in D2 South. But on Sandwich's side, I really think they could take all these teams with number three, can likely the toughest uh, squad to get to the final. And then obviously mm-hmm. if they were to face Hanover, that would be, I think, even more challenging. But the big advantage for Sandwich is always is Tim Ladner winning those draws and, yeah. and getting Sandwich possession. That's a huge X factor, um, pun intended, I guess, <laughs> um, when you come into these games. So the Knights, you know, if they take care of business against Norwood, uh, they could face Marcus Vineyard or Bishop Fian. These are both teams that they beat at the end of the regular season, which I guess is encouraging, although kind of, you know, clearly both of those teams will be looking for a little bit of revenge. Uh, Norwood, meanwhile, is not to be confused with Norwell. Norwood plays in a tough Tri-Valley League with teams like Westwood, Holliston, Hopkinton, Dover, Sherburn. Um, but its only win against a tournament team was Ashland, and Ashland snuck in at 9-9. Nine and nine. Mm-hmm. So I do think Sandwich should be able to take care of business here. And if they move on, they'll be seeing a team that they've already beaten. So there's a very good chance they can end up in the semifinals. And from that point, you know, who, who really knows? We've got also in D2, we've got number 10, Bishop Fian, that's at number 7, Martha's Vineyard. You know, the Vineyard's arrival in the Cape and Islands League on the boys' side, it wasn't as successful as the girls, obviously, but it was a good season for them, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, when you look at the boys' sides, we'll get too soon. Nantucket was clearly the, ju- the they juggernaut. Are. I mean, they, they're, it's a machine there. And they would have played, you know, one another anyway during the regular season. Oh, yeah. So, but, but certainly, I, I think this helped their standing a little bit, getting some more league wins and, you know, Building up, up enough for a home game in the first round. So um, they've gotten strong leadership all year. Sam Wallace, Sander Amaral, Colby Zarbra. Um, they're gonna really going to have to bring it, though. I mean, this Bishop Fiend team, which we'll get to, takes on some really high-level competition. St. John, Shrewsbury, King Phillip. I mean, these are big-level Division One teams. Mm-hmm. Compare that to Cape and Islands League competition, and quite frankly, it's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, unless the boat ride really throws off the Shamrocks, you know, I think Fian has a bit of an edge in this matchup, mm-hmm. and I would expect these two teams, Fian and Sandwich, to meet in the quarterfinals. Gotcha. Uh, even closer in terms of seed, number nine Dartmouth and number eight Falmouth. That's also Tuesday. That's a 5 p.m. game. Really close by record, but may, but I, I think you'd give the edge here to Falmouth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Falmouth did win head-to-head 6-3 earlier in the year. That's why. <laughs> and that was a day, but that was a day after beating Catholic Memorial on the road. You know, tough mm-hmm. game coming back, you know, after that, that kind of explains the, the low-scoring game. But, mm-hmm. you know, simple, you know, looking at the head-to-head matchups, Dartmouth split with Barnstable this year, mm-hmm. while Falmouth handled Barnstable easily in both games. And when you take that into account, I, I think Falmouth certainly has the edge. You know, in in the first matchup between Dartmouth and Falmouth, Nate Carr went nine for eleven in faceoffs. Uh, in the last matchup, um, you know, in that matchup, he went nine for eleven. And if goalie Jack Hamilton plus defenders Will Hunsaker and Brandon Bowman play as well as they did in that last matchup, I think the Clippers take care of business and they move on. Um, and the tough part is that the winner is going to get most likely uh, Hanover, which again is the number one seed. Hanover is going up against number sixty Middlebrough in the first round. Sure. You want to switch to uh, Division Three to finish up the uh, boys the boys lacrosse side? Yeah, this actually worked nicely. We went from Division Two now over to Division Three. Yeah, that was good organizing in our Google Doc. <laughs> yeah, or just schedule organizers. Who that, know? That too. Yeah, but the uh, the Sharks, even though they only lost four games, again, I think the Cape and Islands League yeah. factored into that seed. Yeah. Um, this has been a good team, though. I mean, it's certainly you know a win's a win, and and players like Mark Polina, Elijah Beasley, and Roy Carpenter, in particular, have been great among the scorers for Monomoy. 
But the problem is they've really only been challenged with two overtime wins against Plymouth North, which finished below 500, I believe. So mm-hmm. um, St. John Paul also played Monomoy closely, but Rockland comes in 11-7, and seven, played one of the most difficult schedules I've seen. I mean, they played Norwell and Cohasset, Hull, Whitman, Hanson, Silver Lake, and Braintree, and they still won 11 games. So, I mean, this is a team that's going to be very tested, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Rockland came out the victor in this one. Sure. So that's a 4 p.m. game on Monday. Number 9, Monomoy. Number 8, Rockland. We also, at 4 p.m., have number 10, Bourne, at number 7, uh, Tri-County. Yeah, so Bourne did what it had to do to get in the postseason, you know, and I see what technically would count as a bracket sense as an upset mm-hmm. looming here, just based on who uh, Bourne has played. Uh, tough South Coast Conference schedule, Absolutely. plus I think games at Nosset, Sandwich, and Hull, although those aren't the results that they they were all losses. But those are good competition. It's very good competition. And Tri-County, you know, they beat up on a lot of teams in the Mayflower this year, including Upper Cape. Um, but, I mean, don't count out Tri-County. They got some really good uh, players on attack. Their defenders are big and strong and physical, so Bourne's going to have to bring it. But I think if they can get Christian Mulkern going on the offensive mm-hmm. front, um, players like Logan Hawks and Ty Cass control the midfield well. I think Bourne uh, could earn the right to play Nantucket, which comes in 18-0 and and is seeded uh, number two in this tournament. Uh, Nantucket earned a first-round bye, so their game would be Friday against the winner of Bourne and Tri-County. Gotcha. And then the last uh, boys lacrosse game we've got coming up is number 11, St. John Paul, at number six, Fairhaven. Uh, that is a 6 p.m. game also Wednesday, right? Yep. Or, or That'll be Tuesday. Tuesday all, these, all the boys lacrosse games are Tuesday. Yeah, my bad. Tuesday. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, with St. John Paul, I mean, it was cool to see Mike Sakovich surpass 100 goals this season. Absolutely but great. it pretty much summed up what the Lions are about. The fact is that he's kind of the heartbeat of that team. Mm-hmm. And I really think they, the Lions are only going to be able to do so much against a Fairhaven team that was right in the middle of the pack of the South Coast Conference race. Mm-hmm. You know, someone like Sam Delman or Anthony Kemp will really have to step up, I think, to give the Lions a chance to keep up offensively. But the Lions have had some lapses at times. And I know a lot of their coaches are saying that they're getting better at playing a full uh, 48 minute game. Um, if they don't play smart lacrosse in any part of this game, I, I really think they're going to have a hard time coming out with a victory. I agree. Nice way to wrap up for Mike Sakovich, though. I talked to him in the fall for football. He's a good kid, and, and you know he's contributed a lot in a, three different sports for uh, for SJP. And you know that's always nice when a kid can leave a legacy like that of success in multiple sports. And he's going on to New Haven next year to study. Um, I believe. Um, he basically wants to be a fire. That's yeah, his fire goal. science. I fire think. science. Right. Thank you. <laughs> that's his minor. Um, but basically, you know, he's he's the got a nice future yeah. to him. So I wouldn't be surprised. And you know, five years or so, maybe see him back here, uh, putting out fires on the Cape. Sure. We'll switch it over to boys tennis now. I think uh, and get into a whole new sport. Uh, so today uh, at four p.m., we've got uh, the only D one team uh, on the Cape. That's Barnstable. They are number fourteen. They are hosting number nineteen Durfee in a preliminary round match. Uh, not quite the end of the season uh, that the Red Raiders would have liked. They lost their last three, all against teams that now are in the postseason. If they win, they're going to have to turn around and beat number three Newton North in Newton on Tuesday. You know, Johnny Cologne, Barnstable's third singles player, maybe their most consistent right now. He's won his last two matches before uh, sitting out the finale against Martha's Vineyard. A lot of the varsity didn't play in that game. You know, we've seen good stuff out of Trevor Blaze at one singles, uh, but somebody else is going to have to step up uh, if they don't want their season to end today or tomorrow. Yeah, and their doubles have been inconsistent at times, too. Yeah. I really think they're going to have to kind of string together a really uh, solid performance. But I think I have, co- I, I still think Barnesville should be able to get through the next round. But again, it's a tough but turnaround to New go North, play the next day. Uh, a team that was my school, high school's rival. So I have <laughs> complicated feelings about the you know, Tigers. Animosity. I. They're complicated. <laughs> anyway, uh, in Division Three, we also have a preliminary round today. We have an all-cape game. We have number 19, Bourne, at number 14, Nantucket. That's at 2.45 p.m., so if you're going to go get on the ferry now because that's pretty close to now. Uh, Canalmen are in the playoffs for the, first, for the third consecutive year. The Whalers, a cool story for them. They just started varsity tennis last year, and they're in the playoffs for the first time ever this year, and they get to be home for their first match. You know, they enter on a, a three-game winning streak. Bourne closed out with two wins in its last three games. They haven't lost to anybody other than a Poniquit since April. Uh, so, you know, for Bourne, Andrew Ariagno, Wyatt Ream, they're kind of the top singles players. Jared ba- Baptist has had a couple of partners at one doubles. For Nantucket, you know, it's going to see what Luke McKay, John Vento, and then 
I like the Will Harris and Evan Bellinger doubles team. How those guys perform will determine which team kind of moves on in this one. Yeah, it was cool for Nantucket. They got to compete in the individual tournament. I talked mm-hmm. a little bit to, to Luke McKay. So a uh, nice little story for them to, to get some postseason action here. For sure. Also today, uh, we have um, a D3 uh, first-round game. Number 10, Maimonides, is taking on number 7, Sturgis West, at Cape Cod Community College. That's a 4 p.m. game. I'll be there, so if you see me, come say hi. About half the Navigators this year played for that Sturgis co-op team last year that lost to Maimonides in the uh, South semifinals. So if that's not going to be good motivation for people like Owen Conlon, Satria Knight, Nate Prickett, who are all on that team, I don't know what will. You know, Oliver Prantis... He's their one singles player for Sturgis West. He's just a freshman. We'll see how he handles the postseason, but he has been really, really solid for them in yeah. that position all year. Yeah, and just seeing how he played in the individual tournament, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he takes care of business six zero six zero right off the bat. So that's how good he's been playing this year. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, we've got a D2 first-round game. Number 11, Sandwich, is at number 6, Walpole. Uh, Blue Knights senior brothers Alec and Evan Abramson will try to wrap up their high school re- careers with a long playoff run. Sandwich, you know, if they take one point in either match against Nauset, they tie for the Atlantic Coast League title. But those kind of close games where one team wins by three, the Blue Knights are just two and three in those matches. So, you know, in ones where everybody's got to really perform, they haven't been as consistent as they want to be. If there are more close matches like that coming up in the playoffs, it'll be up to them along with guys like Steve Tangillig or Andy Meal to get the job done, you know. It's a road game. It's definitely going to be a challenge for Sandwich, I think. Right. And a cool note on the Abrams is I'm pretty sure they were both like co-Salu Victorians or something like that over the weekend. I'd have to double-check. It doesn't surprise photos. me. They're yeah. really good students. <laughs> They're, they've done really interesting things with their dad with promoting uh, – Adaptive sports, adaptive golf is something that they're they're really passionate about. Their younger sister is on the sandwich golf team. We'll get to her at the end of the at the end of this episode, uh, but we'll stick with tennis for a little longer. Number fourteen, Ashland is at number three, Nosset on Tuesday. That's a four thirty p.m. game. Ben Garside leads the Warriors at one singles. I talked to Coach Brendan Gutman last week, and he's really high up on his two doubles teams, which are Robbie Wright, Austin Hirschberger, and then Caleb Caldwell with Tess Fukers McMillan. They're all big reasons behind the Warriors' impressive turnaround from last year. Not a playoff team last year. This year, I think only three losses. They won the ACL. Might be the last ACL title ever awarded. Great year for them. I think they should be able to move on to the quarterfinals. I think they should be able to beat the Clockers. Right, absolutely. Um, We have one uh, preliminary matchup uh, coming tomorrow as well. Um, That'll be... uh, Number 17, Fairhaven versus uh, St. John Paul II. That'll be at the Mid-Cape Racket and Health Club in South Yarma starting at 4. Mm-hmm. St. John T- Paul is a team we've seen you know, in the past you know, make the postseason, yep. kind of fizzle out early. I believe a couple of years ago they were, they were knocked off by Mamadis after having a really good season. But one win separates these two squads, so this is kind of a toss-up either way um, for the right to face number one Dover-Sherburne on the road on Tuesday. Yeah. Undefeated so. number one Dover-Sherburne, by the way. Um. You know, for the Lions to not end, you know, they they lost their last three games of the year. Another team not quite where they want to be heading into the playoffs. They don't want a fourth. They don't want that to be the end of this, their season. But it's going to take something from guys like J.P. Resendez, Robert Dwyer, Connor Sargent, Patrick Armstrong. These are all guys who have a fair amount of varsity experience, I think, and they're going to have to step up to keep this season going. Right. And J.P., um, he was a sophomore. He started, I believe, his third singles last year. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of moved up this year, but he'll be back for his senior year, most likely. So, I, I do think he's got a pretty bright future with his team, no matter if the season ends Monday or most likely Tuesday, if they get to, or excuse me, yeah, or gets to Tuesday. So, mm-hmm. also uh, on Tuesday we've got uh, Norwell. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading, confusing my notes. D3 first round match number twelve, Monomoy at number five, Aponiquit. Four p.m. game on Tuesday. Aponiquit is sixteen and two. Monomoy is 11-7. and seven. It would be pretty impressive if the Sharks somehow can pull off this upset, and this would definitely be an upset. But guys like Troy Olson, Danny Street, Isaiah Stafford, I mean, the rest of the team is Sam Higgins, and then the Dave Collin and Joseph Malone, they're all going to have to play really well to, to make that happen. I mean, ev- at least three of those like pairings or singles players are going to probably have to have the games of their careers to, to get this one done, I think. Right. And then the last one will be uh, the Vineyard, which opens up uh, tomorrow at 4 p.m. against the winner of today's match between Norwell and Westport. Yep. Um, I, I pretty much think the Vineyard should be able to get through their first-round matchup here. Spencer Pogue, Owen Favreau, Chris Ferry in particular. 
Um, and Max Potterball played really well this year. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a 15-18 match in the preliminary today. So Marcus Vineyard a little bit later today. We'll know who their opponent is. Absolutely. Uh, over in girls' tennis uh, today, we've got a preliminary round in D2. It's uh, number 17, Monomoy, at number 16, Medfield at 4 p.m. Nice turnaround season for the Sharks this year. They missed the playoffs last year, uh, which snapped a four-year run of making the postseason. Uh, you know, getting the 17 seed isn't ideal because if they win, they have to go back on the court tomorrow to face Situate, the undefeated number one seed. Uh, I really like how Lindsey McDonald has played for Monomoy this year at one singles. Uh, but whether you get those two point, other points from somebody like Julia Smith or one of the doubles teams like Eliza Pillsbury, Molly McKenna, or Olivia Prisco, Christy Beckley, I don't know. It's going to be a toss-up whether or not they win this one or not. And even if they do, I don't. I would not pick them to be able to beat Situate. Situate is really good this year. Mm-hmm. Um, also today, we've got uh, number 14, Aponiquit, at number three, Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard is the defending Division II state champions. They have won four consecutive state champions. They won championships. They won D3 for three straight years and then bumped up to D2 just to see if they could do it. They did. Uh, you know, these two teams are, or these two schools, I think, are kind of interesting in that in both cases, the girls' team plays up a division, whereas the boys' team is D3. Um, the Lakers were knocked out by Situate, uh, Pontiquet Lakers, by Situate last year, which then lost to the Vineyard in the South quarterfinals. Uh, Pontiquet advanced with a 5-0 sweep of Norton on Sunday in the prelims. You know, Martha's Vineyard beat Situate last year. Situate earned the number one seed this year. MV was also the second seed Last year, they've not been the, the one seed in Division Two. It hasn't really affected them so far. I think it just has more to do with league competition. I think so, anything. too. You know, in order to beat the Vineyard, somebody is going to have to beat one of the singles players, whether that's Kelly Claren, Victoria Scott, or Hannah Rabaska. And that assumes you can beat both double teams, which isn't easy either. Cheska Potter and Molly Pogue and Tessa Hammond and Alex Rigo are very good. They've won the grand majority of their matches this year. But even if they don't, I'm not sure anybody can beat those three. I, that's just a really great trio of singles players, and that depth is really hard to shake up, and I certainly don't see it happening in the first round. No, absolutely. I mean, it'd be really impressive to see Marcevina go back-to-back in Division Two, just mm-hmm. you know, given the size of the school and whatnot. And as we keep saying, we're hoping to see them go up against D1 one day just to see if they can do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get any higher than that. Yeah, do a Super 8 in tennis just to see what they could do. <laughs> Where it start, have them start playing prep schools or something like that. <laughs> Um, cool. So on Tuesday, we've got a Division I first-round game, Barnstable, number nine seed at number eight, North Quincy. As I said, Barnstable is the only D1 school in tennis. You know, the Red Raiders, uh, they're led by one singles player, Olivia Burler, who had a signing day for her last week. She's going to go play for Endicott College next year. Uh, but first comes her last run through the playoffs. The Red Raiders won three of their last four games, finished out the season well. Uh, they face a North Quincy team whose regular season record was just, you know, a half a game better, one win, same number of losses, basically. Keep an eye on Ingrid Murphy at two singles, and I like the doubles team of Lily Tordone and uh, Josie Ackle in this one. Yeah, Ingrid uh, Murphy certainly a player we talked about a lot in volleyball. Very good tennis players, put together a pretty good season behind Burler. It was a pretty good one-two punch for Barnstable, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Raiders were able to get uh, through to the next round after this one. For sure. Also Tuesday, we've got uh, a first-round D2 match. That's number 11, Dennis Yarmouth, at number 6, Norwell. This has been a heck of a turnaround for the Dolphins over the last couple of years. This was a team that didn't win a game, or maybe they had one win in 2017, and two years later, they're in the playoffs. It's the first time they've been in the playoffs since 2010, but they're facing a Norwell Clippers squad that went 13-2. and So this is going to be a huge challenge for players like Erica Robbins, Victoria Liu, Elena Rooney, Renee Levesque, Gabby Rios, all of them. They could certainly win this game, uh, win this match. It is going to be a big challenge for them, and even if they do lose, it should not overwrite the success they had this year in turning this program back into right. a successful program. And that's not an easy turnaround, too, when you're an ACL team. I mean, you're no. playing the Nossets of the world. is very good every year. Yeah. Um, Falmouth has had really good tennis teams in the past. Sandwich is usually competitive. Sandwich, exactly. Sandwich is in the playoffs this year, too. Marshall is kind of the, the black sheep of the group, so to speak. So. Yeah. But still, you know, good turnaround for the Dolphins. Now, speaking of Nosset, number nine Nosset at number eight Dartmouth on Tuesday. That's at 4 p.m., they were the undefeated number one seed in the D2 South tournament last year. Then they immediately lost at home to Medfield in the first round of the tournament, uh, which was very disappointing if for no other reason than I really wanted to see Nossett face the Vineyard 
you know, in the sectional finals or something like that. I'm hoping that gives an added focus to players like Gabby Didoli, Kelly Carlin, Akina Rank, Reagan Meehan. These were all players on last year's team that played in that midfield match. They're, Didoli, Meehan, and Rank are all seniors this year. They don't want their last two years to both end with first-round exits. So hopefully, even if they're a much lower seed, they're a little bit, you know, the the sting of last year still carries with them. And just having those players back, I mean, I think Nasa yeah. could act as a bit of a sleeper in this tournament because I think they certainly have the talent to, to make a bit of a run of things here. I think so, too. Uh, also in D3, in the first round, we've got number 13, Seekonk, against number 4, Sturgis West. That's at Cape Cod Community College. Uh, that's tomorrow at 4 p.m. Uh, the Navigators are the highest-seeded team that didn't get a first round by this year. The top three in D3 all advanced directly to the quarterfinals. I don't know that that necessarily uh, the buy that they got last year though helped them because they just lost to Kohas in the quarterfinals. So maybe having less time off is actually better for keeping your rhythm. Uh, Nicole Waldron and Alonis Wilson-Arenthal are both senior singles players for Sturgis West. They have a lot riding on this postseason. We'll see what uh, players like Elizabeth and Emily Elio and then Sydney Ahern, uh, they're all also players to watch, I think. And then the last matchup Tuesday, St. John Paul at Rockland. Uh, it's the second straight appearance for the uh, 12th-ranked Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, but they hit into the tournament having lost three of their final four matches. They do win. That potentially sets up an all-Cape and Adams League quarterfinal against Sturgis West, but they first have to beat a Bulldog squad that comes in 14-3. and threes, played really well this year. Um, Grace Felix leads St. John Paul at one singles, followed by Brooke Witten. Uh, Brooke Eager and uh, Maeve Lonergan have been one of the most consistent double squad, but mm-hmm. and they're certainly going to have to win, I think, if St. John Paul is going to have any chance of uh, pulling off the upset. Definitely. On Wednesday, D3 first round. Last, last tennis matchup. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're almost done, and then we're, we're changing. We're, I know this is a long one. It was a long one in the winter, too. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we love our watchers anyway uh on wednesday d3 first round number 10 sandwich at number seven westport 4 p.m game uh sarah etry is the top singles player for a blue knight squad which made the playoffs for the first time since 2015 so nice accomplishment for them uh the singles crew also has jade ferguson and sophie esdale uh doubles teams have been in a bit of a flux this year emily lopes is usually one on one of the two doubles teams in the end uh the winner gets number two sacred heart on friday all right now, if you missed any of these playoff seedings, of course, you can go back and watch the show, capegottimes.com slash capesportsnow. Also, check out our Facebook page. Um, but we just want to wrap up real quickly with some tracks and some girls' golf. Mm-hmm. As we started the show by talking to Mackenzie Condon, we had some really good results, especially on the girls' side at the All-State Track and Field Meet, which was this past Saturday, Westfield State, yep. home of many black squirrels, uh, for those who have been out in the Western <laughs> Mass region. Uh, first and foremost, uh, D.Y.'s Tiana Basie defended her All-State title in discus with a toss of 130 feet, 3 inches. She was also second in the shot put, just edging out Falmouth Abby Chorches mm-hmm. by a quarter of an inch. However, for Chorches, she finished third in the event, and it was a 5-inch PR for her, which was a great performance. Um, and is only a junior, so yeah. I think she's going to really be able to carry the mantle well for Cape Throwers when Basie heads to Louisville in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and both, again, qualify for New England, which are this weekend in Saco, Maine, another prominent vacation area funny enough yep you know that's southern southeast main area but joining them most likely would be uh, nasset's monique malcolm we've talked to our talked to uh, talked about a bunch yeah. on this show uh, she finished runner-up in the 100 meter dash uh, with 12.27 seconds in the final uh, caroline uh, shizzle from ainsbury finished uh actually qualified for nationals by winning the event in uh, 11.93 mm-hmm. so certainly no shame in you know being behind a very talented senior there and um one more milestone on the girl side you had emma eastman from sandwich we talked to earlier in the season she cracked top 10 on the mile with a time of 509 which smashed her seed time of 522 so that's a huge improvement for her so um she certainly i don't think it's gonna be much longer if we could see her approaching getting under five which for girls as a miler would mm-hmm. be outstanding and that's going to put her as a very good chance of being recruited i would say so we also should mention mackenzie condon she did qualify for New England's in both the pentathlon and the 400 hurdles. I'm not sure her sixth place finish in the 100 hurdles will be enough to get her in. No, I believe top four get four, in. Four, I think. Is, yeah. And then there might be like one wild card depending on all the results. But but that's all the states. So. I'm pretty sure it's just the one event. So Right. So we'll see. Uh, you know, As she said, she may go, she may not. She's got nationals in two weeks and may want an extra you know, weekend off to train, to recover, right. to 
about deal with whatever illnesses she's dealing with. So, and for context, obviously, some people go to New England's to go against a better competition and it might help them get a better, you know, time or a better right. distance and, and possibly stuff like that. qualify. For but it. if you hit the qualifying standard, right, New England's almost becomes optional at exactly. that point. And for someone like Condon, who as she mentioned is battling Lyme disease, yeah, you're going to take the rest if you can get it. If you need it, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, just wanted to wrap up quickly on the boys' side, though. Match B. Xavier Gonzalez just missed out on scoring in the meet. He placed ninth in the shot put with a toss of 48 feet, 2.25 inches. Uh, he was two spots behind Martha Vineyard's Nathaniel Packer, who was seventh in the event with a toss of 48 10. Mm-hmm. And then DY sophomore Kevin Arsenal, someone who I interviewed earlier in the year. Definitely and, a player to watch for the next couple of years. Yeah, just a sophomore in 525, or excuse me, 425 in the mile, capping off an outstanding sophomore year. Um, it actually beat his PR that he he ran at the MSTCA coaches invite, which was a four twenty six six five. So mm-hmm. five twenty five for a sophomore is very good, and I think next year he's going to be aiming to be under four twenty, which will put him, I think, among some of the better mileage in the state. For sure, I think uh, there were others from all state that didn't that competed but didn't place. I think Cam Kurgo was there, Ashley Kelleher, mm-hmm. both Mashpee kids. Uh, so you know the Cape was well represented at all state. Hopefully we'll have at least a few people who do decide to go to New England's this weekend and we'll certainly uh, update people some, one way or another on who's going before uh, beforehand for that. Uh, but we'll finish it up with the Girls Golf uh, State Tournament, which is going on right now. So if you're listening to the show, you probably have already missed it. Um, but that is it was this morning. It was at Pleasant Valley Country Club in Sutton. You had Sandwich competing as a team. They were led by Emma Ambrinson, the who's the younger sister of Alec and Evan, uh, Christina Timmy, Emily Hunt, Bridget Lopes, Kylie Quinn, Caitlin Wick. They were all on the qualifying team. And then for Monomoy, you had Jenny Grogan competing. Eighth grader. Yeah, an eighth grader competing as an individual. She was the South uh, sectional runner-up last week. Both really cool accomplishments. Grogan, eighth grade. She's going to have four more years to improve and have more success, and I think she will. And then this is the first ever year for Sandwich as a varsity golf program, and they're going to state. You know, with them, I think the Christina Timmy and Emily Hunt have been around for a while. I think the arrival of Emma Abramson gave them that that one more real top line golfer that they needed to really go varsity. Well, Timmy's one who came over from St. John Paul II, right? Yeah, so definitely coming together and building that girls' golf program. I think. They're going to be pretty good for the next uh, few couple of years going sure. forward. So I think that I do it for this week's episode of Cape Sports Now. Thanks for sticking with us. You can find this episode and all, all previous episodes on our website, capegodtimes.com slash capesportsnow. You can find it on our Cape Cod Times Facebook page. You can download it as a podcast through your podcast app on Google and iPhone products for updates on seeds, results, schedule, postponements, any of that stuff you can Go to the uh, Cape Cod Times Sports Twitter feed. That's at SportsCCT. You can also follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Matt Goisman CCT. That's M-A-T-T-G-O-I-S-M-A-N-C-C-T. And I'm uh, also on Twitter at Steve underscore Derdarian. My last name's D-E-R-D-E-R-I-A-N. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Bye. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.